Steve Donahue, it's so good. It's so good to see you. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Hello, um, Hello Abby. <laughs> I have a long list of questions here to ask you about uh, JFK, uh, the JFK assassination. Right next to me, I have uh, this, this great book, which uh, I'm sure you've seen before. That sparked uh, this conversation, right? That's right. You yeah. sent me a picture of that, and I mentioned that I'd read it. All of it, <laughs> twice. <laughs> I, I can assure, I did not read all of it. You could see from my bookmarks that I read the beginning and I read the end. What um, about the disc? Does your copy have a disc? It does have a disc. The irony, the deep irony here, is that I have no hardware to play this disc on. I don't have a CD player. I know. I, one of my oldest MacBooks can still play that technology, but otherwise, no. And, no. and when you wrote, uh, I'll link your review of this, um, of this book in the description box. Um, and one of the things you touch upon uh, on your review is how uh, massive this book is and how it sort of marks like a, a transitional phase, you know, a sort of an interface between the digital and the analog world of books. Yeah. I don't um, know if there's a digital version of Reclaiming History. I have one. It would be great. It would be great. Is there one? I, I have a pirated one. So I don't, know, I don't know. How does can... the digital version work? The footnotes are right there and they just take you to each footnote. I don't, uh, that, uh, that's a great question. Um, the answer to that question is I think yes. I don't think, I don't know, I, but it will require a little more investigation because I have not really looked into the footnotes. So we'll have to, we'll wow. have to see. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so this, yeah, this is what sparked our conversation. I have not read the whole book. You have read the whole book. Um, and hopefully in the course of our question, we'll get to talk about a little bit what this book is about and what Vincent Bogliosi did or didn't accomplish uh, in, this, uh, in this massive tome, uh, which is obviously uh, quite intimidating to, to look at. Um, okay, so yeah, my first question for you, Steve, is just, um, you're, you're a little older than me. Um, what do you remember uh, about the assassination or the fallout of the assassination and how it sort of transformed America uh, or affected us? Well, the, the, I'm a little older than you in terms of weeks, but the assassination, let's keep in mind, happened decades before I was born, uh, long decades before I was born. Uh, so I would be speaking only in the hypothetical. That's fine. That's where, that's where I want to be speaking. That's the best place to speak from. And, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious that the psyche of, a, of an entire nation is going to change if the leader of that nation is executed and then film footage surfaces of the moment of his death. That's not the same thing as Garfield being shot, you know, or Lincoln being shot. That's not the same thing at all. That's, I mean, when Time Life releases the Zapruder film, everything in America changes, I think. Everything, everything in America changes. That, that was, I think, no offense to Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, but I think the Zapruder film was the birth of television. It was the birth of what the medium could really do, which is not just to show you sitcoms tied up in neat little bows, but to also show you things you don't want to see. And that just kept on happening. That has just kept on happening. I mean, the Zapruder film gave us all the footage of the Vietnam War. That, again, I don't in any way remember. <laughs> but that was, that was harrowing to a nation, absolutely harrowing to a nation. To this day, I am personally amazed that there is no film footage of the Watergate break-in. I'm just, I just assumed that there would be to, as sort of a trifecta, but instead 
we got something even worse. We got President Nixon resigning on, you know, on a live broadcast. So that, that would be my answer, a very unhelpful, amorphous answer. Mm-hmm. I don't think a nation can, can stay the same once those things have happened. Yeah. Yeah, Bugliosi quotes a historian that says, it was like America went through 100 years in a day. Um, and, and you talk about the significance of the footage and, and the watching that footage. And I've, I've, of course, seen the Zapruder film. Um, but it reminds me of you know, my experience growing up. I was in eighth grade at the time uh, when 9-11 happened. You know, and and when I was, uh, I, I I had friends in school with with parents who were in working in the city. I was on Long Island, so I was very close. Um, and I had friends in school who lived on waterfront properties that saw the burning buildings and saw them collapse from their house. You know, so it was very very close by. Um, and then um, that the, yeah, the film, the images that are imprinted, you know, on on your young uh, mind as the TV just you know, plays them back over and over and over again. Um, and, and he makes the comparison uh, in, in this book, obviously to other historical traumas. And he makes the point, I think, um, I think he makes it compellingly that America was, that it was, it was much more traumatic for people, uh, the Kennedy assassination than even 9-11, despite the asymmetry and the loss of life, um, for example. And he talks about how like, you know, Kennedy represented a future um, that, that was, that was cut short. Does that make yes, sense he, to you? He does indeed claim that. <laughs> yes, indeed. And if he were writing a 1500 page book on 9-11, he would have said as bad as the Kennedy assassination was, 9-11 was much worse. <laughs> he does say that in the book. I don't agree, but I don't think he meant it. So <laughs> interesting. interesting. Good, good. That's why I'm glad I can, I can bounce these things off you. No, the JFK assassination was a scar on the psyche of the nation. But the, all the film footage and the pictures and the reality and the, and the aftermath of 9-11, I believe history will judge as far, far more significant in that it tipped this country from a free and representative nation into something different than that. Mm-hmm. The, the film footage of 9-11, the, the, that trauma, the fact that everybody in the country stopped what they were doing to watch that footage over and over and over again. I know people who didn't eat for a weekend, just watch that film footage. They, they didn't eat for the rest of the week, just laying down on their bed, watching that footage over and over. You could see it 24 hours a day on TV. And it was that footage that allowed the Bush administration to push through legislation that at any other moment in American history would have been seen for exactly what it was. And instead it was cloaked in that imagery. That imagery allowed horrible evil to be done literally in the dead of night to the American people, not by hijacked planes. But yeah, self-inflicted. So I would say that the one is much worse than, than the other, <laughs> much, much worse than the other. You, most Americans are not at all aware of how fewer rights they have today than they had on September 11th. Most Americans are just totally unaware of that. They just, you could get them, I could, if I drove, I drew up a scenario where a state trooper pulls you over or where you're being deposed in court, some routine matter, nonviolent, non-criminal, that sort of thing. I could draw up a scenario for most Americans and say, okay, I'm gonna ask you six questions in that scenario about your rights in that scenario. 
And I guarantee you 99.9% of Americans, if, if questioned in that scenario, would say, oh yeah, I have that right. Oh yeah, I have that right. Oh yeah, I have that right in that scenario. And they would all be wrong. You don't have those rights anymore. <laughs> but we weren't going to talk about that. No, no. We had to wait for Bugliosi's next, next book about the 9-11 conspiracy we, theories. We've just been crackpot conspiracies forever. On right. <laughs> so there's a, there's a book tag going around, making the rounds. And I saw you did it. A few other people did it. Um, and the last question of that tag is the, uh, is the interesting question. So you answered this question uh, in that video. Uh, I was wondering if, if you could sort of... Uh, maybe repeat it or add some more details. Yes, the question um, was, what do you think about the JFK assassination? Notice, no, I'm sure nobody listening batted an eyelash when I, when I moved straight from the JFK assassination to crackpot conspiracies. Because the, this, the, the JFK assassination and 9-11 both proved beyond a shadow of doubt what people have been saying for millennia, which is that more proof, more evidence does not mean more clarity. No one had any doubts about what happened when President Garfield was shot. No doubts at all. It was just, it was a horrible thing. It was a tragedy, but it wasn't, there was no doubt. President Garfield, President McKinley, nothing happened. The more proof you get, the more doubt there is. Yeah. Nevertheless, I've gone over this evidence far more often than Vincent Bugliosi has. He might have written a huge book on the subject. But he wasn't all that interested in the subject until he thought there was room for a huge book on the subject. Whereas I've been interested in it from the beginning. Well, he did. He did prosecute a case in uh, I think it was in England or something where he was like the lead prosecutor. And it was like yeah. the only uh, uh, trial that was done, I guess, obviously posthumously of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Mock trial. Mock trial, of course. Right. Mock trial. Uh, and, and if you had told him before right. he agreed to that, that there would be no television cameras, he wouldn't have agreed to it. Okay. <laughs> He's kind of a yardstick for how, where his interest was. I guarantee you that as a wet behind the ears toddler, he did not spend late nights pouring over the Warren Commission volumes. I guarantee you he didn't do that. Probably his introduction to the whole thing came from Mark Lane, who wrote a book right, right away, pretty much right away, saying this doesn't add up. He, Mark Lane did pour over the Warren Commission volumes, just like I did. He came to a lot of the same conclusions that I did, which is that there were a lot of problems. There are a lot of problems in the raw materials that the Warren Commission was using. Uh, and, and anyway, sorry, I'm a little off track here. Those problems are what metastasized into people having a different response to that final JFK book tag question than just, yeah, I think Lee Harvey Oswald got off the shot of a lifetime. The, reason, the only reason you would have a different response to that question, as I think 60% of Americans now do, mm -hmm. uh, would be because somewhere along the line, you have a woolly understanding that the facts don't add up. And so you figure, <laughs> you figure that must be the reason. That it can't just be simple human fallibility over and over again. Shock, fear. It can't be any of that. It's, it's got to be something bigger and more nefarious. Okay. So if I were to ask you for, for simplicity's sake to put a number on it, let's say we said like a hundred is um, absolute certainty of no conspiracy. Definitely lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald uh, killed the president. No one else was involved. And 50 would be like, you know, 
I could see it going either way. I see evidence in both directions. I don't have a strong opinion one or the other. And zero, of course, is a definitely a conspiracy. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum? 80. 80. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I want to point out, again, this is not, I am not going to spend our, our very first crackpot's conspiracy theory hour just denigrating Vincent Bugliosi. But I want to point out that he has, he has a stellar conviction record. He's one of the greatest prosecuting attorneys the country has ever seen. He is a genius in the courtroom. And I want to point out that in almost every one of the convictions that he has achieved in his career, 80 is about as high as things went. If he had come into this book disbelieving the Warren Commission, it would be, it would be just as long, but it would be completely different. Mm -hmm. be completely different. that's a key to remember when if anybody out there is actually thinking about reading reclaiming history i want to say first of all it's a terrific reading experience he's a terrific writer not every lawyer is every lawyer thinks they are but he, but he actually is it's a terrific reading experience despite the fact that with the narrative footnotes it's three thousand pages long but i want to point out he's not a historian and he's not a journalist and he's not even a lawyer. He's a prosecutor. Lawyers are taught in the first year of law school not to ask their clients whether or not they did it. In, in case the client says yes, <laughs> in which case you are ethically bound to report that to the court. So don't ask the question. Lawyers are taught that in year one. And that underscores more than anything else that lawyers, especially prosecutors, are not ultimately interested in the truth. Mm -hmm. they're counting on the adversarial system of the United States jurisprudence to arrive at the truth, no matter what they do, they're counting on that. You get one advocate who zealously prosecutes and one who zealously defends within the canon of ethics. So that you have the case argued perfectly on both sides, and then you let 12 neutral people decide. So the lawyer's job, especially the prosecutor's job is not to find the truth. And I don't believe that Bugliosi went into this book looking for it. I think he went into this book looking to vindicate the Warren Commission, which he resoundingly does. I mean, he resoundingly does. But what are you vindicating if you vindicate the Warren Commission? The Warren Commission left out a lot of stuff. They refused to look at a lot of evidence. They dismissed a lot of stuff. So you're, if you go into a 3,000-page book looking to vindicate the Warren Commission, you're looking to vindicate something that's flawed itself. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I don't mean to, I don't mean to take the floor here. It's just, no, that's why I brought you on. Of course, who else is going to talk about not me? I, I could talk about this for three hours. Good. That's that's what people want. I'm, I'm here to make people uh, happy. Um, what do people want that? Don't they get enough Steve Tedium on my own channel? <laughs> just, just as a comparison point, I, I think I know the answer. I think everyone has a good sense of the answer, but just a comparison point. So we said 80 uh, percent no conspiracy for JFK. Right. What would that number be for 9-11 conspiracy theories? For me? Yeah, 100% being no conspiracy. It would depend on, oh, it would depend on what you mean by conspiracy. With JFK, it's not, right. So when, with 9-11, you mean what, what conspiracy do you I understand. Mean? That's fair. That's a fair point. But um, well, first of all, JFK conspiracy theories are notoriously vague, right? I mean, even in the JFK world, when you say conspiracy theory, you're talking about a very big blanket of right. But the kernel at the heart of almost all JFK conspiracy theories is that Lee Harvey Oswald was innocent, or didn't act alone. 
or didn't act, or didn't act alone, which would still make him innocent. If he says he's a patsy, if he's right. a cat's paw of someone else, then in one sense, at least, he would be innocent of the primary crime. He'd be an accessory. Right. But with 9-11, there are people who say that it didn't happen, that planes didn't hit any right. of their targets, that all of those people were executed in government facilities. The there people, people that I've, yeah, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> the main one is the inside job. Right, those are the people that I've spoken to. Okay, okay. Uh, I, for, for if, if 100 is- uh, No conspiracy. Definitely wasn't. And right. zero is that it definitely was an inside job. I'd say that I'm close to 100. Right. So me too. And that's what I assumed. That's what I assumed. So um, great. And, and I just wanted to, to, to point that out. It's like, as like as this, is, this is unique, right? That, that's sort of the point. Like, there's lots of conspiracies, right, in, in America, in American history that we can think of. I mean, uh, Rabin assassination is a presidential assassination, or he's a prime minister, obviously, that I remember from my childhood. And I remember that the ripples of trauma that's sent through you know, my community. And there's conspiracy theories around that. Yeah, I don't um, get that. I really don't get that. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I understand it in some cases, right? There were hundreds and hundreds of people in Dealey Plaza. Mm -hmm. But there's film footage of, of Robin getting shot. Yes. By the guy who shot him. Yigal Amir. <laughs> same thing at all. It's, who, who jumped for joy in right. his interrogation when he found out that the prime minister was dead. You know, right. and, and who was seen by all the people around him. None of the people around him in that crowd ever said it was somebody else. Well, I could tell you. I mean, I've read about this. So there's uh, people claim that someone shouted blanks when he shot, which reminds me a lot of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald saying the word patsy when he was apprehended. You know, so the claim is that he shot blanks. Um, the car that was taking Rabin to the hospital made like a wrong turn. You know, which conspiracy theorists go crazy about. Cars always make wrong turns. You know, <laughs> um, and and like the, the biggest piece is they, they, there's an unaccounted for hole in Rabin's shirt, so they say it's like a bullet wound from the back. Uh, I mean, if you're a little skeptical, you could think you know they did all sorts of autopsies, they did stuff in the car, or whatever. But like that's you know that's a, that this is wow. sort of the narrative that emerges. You know, wow. and and you're dealing with not small numbers you're doing the last i checked i mean people should fact check this on their own and google the numbers but the last i checked it's like 30 percent of israel and it's like more than 50 percent of right-wing israelis it's like a, it's a huge percentage of people believe there was a conspiracy believe there's a conspiracy yeah despite the fact that the, the murderer is alive and unapologetic and proud of the murder yeah right there was no jack ruby no here to, to cause even more confusion although right. maybe we should backtrack <laughs> when, when Ami said, you all should feel free to fact check us, <laughs> how about you don't do that? Who knows how much your data plan is worth, but <laughs> you probably don't, probably don't want to do that. <laughs> We're just two 20-something guys trying to figure things out. That's all. That's of all. course. What's going That's on? what this is about. Um, so, so let's, uh, I feel next questions on my list. I have a long list here, but that's okay. Uh, we, we don't have to obviously do all of it, but we just, um, we can go wherever, wherever the conversation takes us is totally fine. Um, but my next question on my list is, uh, what is the strongest evidence in your mind in favor of the conspiracy? Well, see, that's why, I, that's why I'm at 80. I always say about conspiracy, conspiracy events of any kind, you have to look for the hooks. You have to look for things that snag the accepted narrative, literally snag it. So not, I'm predisposed to think one way or another, but I'm looking at this just cold and that detail doesn't make sense. Like for instance, uh, you mentioned uh, another hole in Robin's shirt. 
if it had been forensically tested for gunpowder, so that it definitely was an entrance wound of a bullet, and it was, let's say, in his upper chest or something like that, that would be a, the genuine snag. That would be a genuine hook, something that, that a totally objective person without a dog in the race is going to say, that is odd. That is an odd detail. Uh, and if you don't have that, then you don't have that, right? Then that's not there and you're not to believe that it is. Like for instance, the Lincoln assassination has no hooks at all. <laughs> the, the president had no history of taking a heavily armed guard with him to public events. The war was over. There was a door directly behind him that was latched and the, the, the loser who wanted to kill him had been talking about it for a long time and screwing up his courage with alcohol. And it was seen by lots of people. There are no legitimate hooks to any of that. But with the Kennedy assassination, there are, there are some hooks, some re really big ones. I, I myself don't put a lot of emphasis on the totally botched aftermath. The fact that the Kennedy party violently withdrew his dead body from the hospital against Texas law. I can understand you're the president's guy. Your guy is just has just been killed in front of you. You're going to want to take possession of that body and get it back home. And home for you is the White House. I understand that you're going to you're going to think that way and you're going to crush any opposition. That's just human nature. And maybe I understand the problems in the autopsy. There were lots of problems with the autopsy stories about doctors sketches that don't at all bear any resemblance to the actual wounds as they were officially described a missing brain that sort of thing einstein's and, brain is also missing einstein's brain is also missing yeah it's not so uncommon it's it's not so uncommon you would think that there would have been a marine at the door if it's a dead assassinated president <laughs> then you would you would think there would have been a marine at the door the whole time but the point is you would think that after the in the moment, everybody would be just, you know, dazed and, and mistakes like that could be made. So I'm not really thinking about so much of that. I'm thinking about uh, beforehand, like for instance, the, the motorcade route in Dealey Plaza, going through Dealey Plaza is extremely strange. Now, Bugliosi says it's not, and he's just wrong. He, the, we, we have all sorts of records. That motorcade route, taking a, a turn like that where you slow down to 10 miles an hour in front of the crowd, that there, Pugliosi talks in his book about how much footage we have of crowds in Kennedy motorcades. Kennedy was famous for his motorcades. And we have lots and lots of footage of crowds just coming right up to the sides of the car. So that the car is parting the crowd like a sea. And Pugliosi talks about that footage as well, you know, there, there goes to show, it just goes to show <laughs> that this isn't a big deal. But Dallas was an extremely hostile city. There had been all sorts of talk about violence against the motorcade. It, most people thought firecrackers, thrown eggs, embarrassment, not, not murderous violence, but nevertheless, a curve like that allows the motorcade to come to an almost complete stop in front of a crowd that is was rare that was extremely unusual that's one element uh, that would that would knock my certainty down from 100 another element would be 
what looks like an operative bias happening in the moment of the assassination in terms of law enforcement. A lot of people in Dealey Plaza heard a gunshot come from a place that law enforcement almost immediately started saying it couldn't have come from, the grassy knoll. Almost immediately, the law enforcement line seemed to be, they're all wrong. And if Vincent Bugliosi had come into this story wanting to attack the Warren Commission, then instead of saying how unreliable ear witness testimony can be, he would have said, how on earth can you dismiss 60 or 70 people all saying the exact same thing about the exact same spot in Dealey Plaza? How on earth can you, can you dismiss that? He does dismiss it, but I don't think he should. It's a, a serious hook. It's a serious snag in the story. The people who were actually there, a large number of them, were 100% certain in the moment, 100% certain that a gunshot, at least one, had come from a completely different place than up above in the Texas School Book Depository. A whole bunch of people who were right there were certain of that from the moment. And there's also the story on, uh, you know, on the grounds about men flashing secret security badges when they were not secret security. They absolutely were not part of the government. And they, there is testimony of such men shepherding people away from the very location where a gunman on the grassy knoll would have lined up his shot. Again, Bugliosi knocks this down, he dismisses it. But I don't see it as dismissible. I've read as much evidence as he is, and I don't, I don't think that it's dismissible. And the number one thing of all, not to go on at, at too great length there, but the number one thing of all that knocks my certainty down from 100 is that Oswald couldn't have done the crime. <laughs> which you would think would knock it all the way down to zero. It, it just isn't possible to do the shooting with the weapon and the training that he had in the time that he had. It just isn't possible to do. The government, the United States government, who had everything in the world invested in the Warren Commission being right, brought in dozens and dozens of experts. None of them could do it. Oswald was not an expert. So you either have to assume that that's a serious detriment. <laughs> but he, was, he was a sharpshooter in the Marines. He was a sharpshooter in the Marines. He wasn't all that good. Again, Bugliosi trots out the actual nomenclature of the rating system of the Marines and what it takes for you to be a sharpshooter and says in the book, you know, according to this rating, uh, Oswald would have been perfectly capable of doing this. And again, I want to point out, no offense to Vincent Bugliosi. I'm not 100% sure that he's still alive. I doubt very much if he is that he will watch this channel. He and I have only had one encounter in our entire lives and it was perfectly benign, perfectly anodyne. And I give him his props. He's not only a good writer, but he's a great prosecuting attorney. And I, I might think that it's an odious profession, but I still give props to the people who rise to the top of it. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, he's fudging the data when he puts forward the case that Oswald was a sharpshooter. Sharpshooters have to maintain their rating. You don't become a sharpshooter in the Marines and then 15 years later, you're still a sharpshooter. I mean, that doesn't happen. You have to maintain your proficiency or you lose it. And you especially don't have that proficiency on a weapon you've never fired before or fired only once or twice. A bad weapon? The Manlicker Carcano that he used was a bad rifle. Again, Pugliosi says that it's not, but that's he, the only reason he gets to say that it's not in his book is by not hauling in the 
the dozens and dozens of expert testimonies that say that it was. <laughs> I trust a room full of rifle experts more than I trust a prosecuting attorney looking to vindicate the Warren Commission. And those experts, those rifle experts have forever said, this is a crappy weapon. It would be impossible to get off these shots in the time allot. So you have, you have two possibilities there to, to sort of unhook that hook. One is what I think actually happened, which is incredibly unsatisfying for Americans. For anyone researching this, it's just incredibly unsatisfying, which is that Oswald did the impossible. You have done the impossible. I have done the impossible. Everybody knows what this feels like, where a moment comes along, whether it's on a playing field or in a, a business meeting or teaching a particularly recalcitrant child, whatever, it, or meeting a deadline, about making something fit into the word lot allowed in a tiny amount of time, the tiny amount of time is crucial. If you have X number of variables that you have to have happen, and you have an ironclad length of time to get it done, a ceiling that's going to crush you if, it, if you don't read it. People do the impossible. You've done it. I've done it. It's a feeling of absolute supernatural exaltation. And you look back on it, and you cannot believe that you could do it. Everybody has felt, most people have felt that. And the least satisfying explanation for the JFK assassination is that when Lee Harvey Oswald was up there on that floor, having dismissed his co-workers, he had that moment. <laughs> it's just, that is just awful. Americans don't want to think that at all. <laughs> they don't want to think that at all. Especially not about a regicide. No, no. The other way to unhook that hook is to uncouple uh, the, the ceiling, the time. That is the, the, the completely determining factor here, right? You only, JFK is only going to be in Oswald's scope for at most 12 minutes, more closer to seven or eight minutes. That's the, the total length of time on a perfectly calm day with crowds cheering that there's going to be any possibility of any kind of a shot from that floor, from that window. That's the, the, your window is very small. You can't take forever. The, the only other way to unhook that hook just a little is to uncouple uh, the events from the Zapruder film, which feels like lunacy to do, right? Because we have the thing on, on video camera. We have the, the, the assassination on video camera. And it's those, those frames have been studied more than anything else. They are the absolute linchpin of all of this, despite the fact that Bugliosi in his book argues that the Zapruder film doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. He could make a drop dead case without it. Nevertheless, notice what he has on the cover of his book. And he knows perfectly well how crucial it is. Uh, those frames are crucial. That's it, yeah. And those frames give you a, an absolutely ironclad time frame for what happens when. You know, there's a horrible one second where the Stemmons freeway sign blocks our view of the car. I know I've known many, many Kennedy conspiracy researchers in my life who would have given their liver to have that sign not be there, <laughs> to have the, the, the Zapruder film show us the whole thing. Because they're all, they, most of them were absolutely convinced that something really crucial happened in that one second.
I've seen this film many, many times. I think probably the thing that would that would have happened in that second is that that would have been the second when JFK realized that something horrible was happening. By the time the car comes away, comes is visible again past the freeway sign, JFK already knows that something horrible is happening. I think all that we're missing in that one second is him learning that there was something horrible happening. And I'm not sure that would have been anything other than a crease in his brow. But researchers, especially a guy named Max Holland, have posited that the, the Zapruder film doesn't show the whole thing. They point out that Abraham Zapruder was, he was standing on an abutment and he was filming the motorcade. And then he realized, oh, I don't have, this isn't a new role of film. I don't know how much film I have. The last thing I want is to be in the middle of filming the president when I run out of film. So he stopped filming. He was standing there filming the motorcade and then he stopped and waited until he saw the president's car. And when he saw that car, just the nose of that, of that, you know, that Lincoln Continental, he started filming again. And researchers have, have uh, gone into this and proven, I think to my satisfaction, uh, that right around the time when Zapruder started filming, that was the timing of the first shot. It makes sense. Kennedy's car, Kennedy himself, his whole torso, would have been easily visible to Lee Harvey Oswald. That would have been the best shot. It makes sense that that would have been when he fired his first round. And if that's true, then the window of the assassination opens from seven or six or seven seconds to 11 or 12 seconds. Because Oswald takes the first shot, waits, repositions himself, and then takes the other two shots. That would also line up with a lot of your testimony. Right. A lot of people thought that two shots were crowded right on top of each other, but that one was not. And that was the shot that missed for people who don't know, right? The first shot missed and, right. and hit the curb, right? Right. But again, that is, that is fodder for conspiracy theorists right there, because whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald was still rated a sharpshooter, whether or not he was any good at what he did, keep in mind, he'd already taken a shot at a U.S. general. That's right from point blank range with no crowd right. around, no jostling at all. And he didn't even hurt the guy. Well, he hit glass though, I thought. He hit an obstruction, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Some, some sharpshooter. <laughs> I guarantee you that a currently rated and proficient Marine sharpshooter standing outside the generals. He did, he did the injure the guy, the glass, the glass injured him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the, uh, the shot didn't blow his head up. Right. And a, a genuinely trained genuine marine sharpshooter they've encountered worse obstacles than that and still killed people <laughs> so, so, but one yeah. way or another conspiracy theorists say well what about that first shot mm-hmm. you know what about the shot that missed the shot that missed didn't just miss kennedy it missed anybody else in the car and it also missed the car right. the car was gigantic it's 20 feet long so what something else must be going on here and maybe conspiracy theorists have said maybe that other report of a shot was someone firing from somewhere else. If you're firing from the grassy knoll, for instance, or from the, a lower floor in like the Daltex building, then you could miss Kennedy and also miss the car. But if you're JFK, if you're Oswald firing from the school book depository, it seems hard to figure out where that bullet went. It seems hard to believe you could miss the car. Right. But, okay, but I noticed you didn't say the magic bullet is a hook. I didn't say the magic bullet. Right, so a lot of people bullet. think the magic bullet is the hook. Yeah, this is the thing that I think Bugliosi is really on target with in his book. 
he points out not only the, the angle of declivity, but also the fact that people in the car were in jumper seats. Yeah. That that ex, that folded out from the normal seating of the car. Usually, when you see diagrams of the car, you see Connolly directly in front of Kennedy. Right. You see people lined up like a square, and it wouldn't have been like that with jump seats. Uh, I myself don't don't see much of a problem with the magic bullet. I don't. I don't see much of a problem with it. it get, you get into all sorts of arcana, but with the magic bullet, you have, again, like those ear witnesses in Dealey Plaza, you have a direct participant, the guy who was shot, telling you, "I am one hundred percent convinced that the bullet that hit me is the bullet that hit the president right before it hit me." <laughs> so that's that's how people people. Uh, arguers on YouTube and also bad lawyers love to say, the direct personal testimony like that in the moment testimony like that is notoriously unreliable drives me nuts when people say that. it just drives me nuts when people say that and, and like like there was, there was a famous experiment that was designed to prove this fact there was a famous experiment where people were on a basketball court and they were told to pay attention to the people on this basketball court pay attention to who's passing to who and in what frequency i want you to add up the frequency of what's going on on that court and a man in a gorilla suit walks in, oh, across the, the frame in the background and the standard reduction of that experiment forever since it came out has always been see eyewitnesses don't know don't notice anything they only notice where their attention is going every single person who participated in that experiment said later in in aftermath interviews and of course they noticed the guy in the gorilla suit but they were paying attention to, the, to what they were told to pay attention to it's not like they couldn't see a guy in a gorilla suit that just drives me nuts and it, it bothers me also for the hypocrisy in reclaiming history because bugliosi puts a very high degree of reliability on that kind of testimony when it serves his own case mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> the other <laughs> the other thing you didn't mention though is is the motion of the body in terms of the directionality of the bullet was it from front or behind so another big yeah. hook that people say is that it looks like he jerked backwards when right. he was shot in the neck um yeah. and you don't think that's a linchpin you don't think that's a hook no i don't no i don't i have i have read i mean it instinctively it sort of intuitively makes sense uh but we again there's all sorts of macabre film footage about what happens when an explosive round like that bursts out of someone the force of it can shock them back that often does happen right and and there is film footage and if i don't advise this for anybody watching but if you were to search out some of that film footage i i can almost guarantee you that one of your first visual reactions would be the same as mine you would see it and think does that prove film? That's exactly what you, you right. remind you of. A less macabre version of getting the same to the same place is uh, I, I'm a physics major. And in physics, a lot of uh, in some of the, the equations we would look at is, is what happens when you get hit by a bullet. Like, what, how does the body react? Because movies get it all wrong. Because movies do the intuitive thing where oh, there's wow. like a big, a big uh, impulse uh, reaction from, from the contact of a bullet. But in reality, when you're dealing with such a small mass, it's, it's dangerous from the penetration force, the fact that it pierces skin. But the mass, the, the momentum transfer is surprisingly small. And so like if you were, for example, to shoot a door on a hinge with a gun, you know, intuitively you think the door might swing from the bullet shot, but it actually wouldn't. It would like barely move. And so the idea that because he jerked back, it implies it was like a bullet hitting him backwards. That's not really how bullets, um, you know, affect the human body. 
right. example. Yeah. Right. When people look at that, it's like they're talking about someone slapping his chest. Right. Exactly. It's not that wouldn't be what or or slapping his back, and it wouldn't be like that at all. Right. Okay. Awesome. Um, the 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 flip side of that question is what's the best arguments against any conspiracy? There was only one person who fired a gun at Dealey Plaza. That's not only the best, that's it. That's the, that's the end. There was only one person who fired a gun at Dealey Plaza. Right. And it was Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> who was, his coworkers saw him bring something to his work. They saw him insist on being left alone. <laughs> there were cartons packed to make a sniper's nest. He fled, he killed someone while he was fleeing. <laughs> there was only one person who fired a gun, Dealey Plaza, that day, and it was Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. And so and the president uh, yeah. was killed with a gunshot. <laughs> right. so the only way around that is to say someone else also was there and fired a gun in Dealey Plaza that day and just has never been caught. And that would be a horrifying conspiracy theory. That, to me, has always been the thing that stalks my nightmares is, you know, the, the route was, was publicized. The visit was publicized. It, it, stalking my nightmares always with this subject has been, what if Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't the only person who had the idea of going there and taking a shot at the president? What if, in other words, two completely unrelated people who didn't have any idea that each other existed went and tried to commit the same crime in the same place at the same time with the same kind of weapon? That is catnip to conspiracy theorists, but it's not impossible, right? If we were talking about a greengrocer who got shot outside his shop, it would be impossible, but this I'm, is in the United States. I'm not, route. I'm not an expert, but I always assumed that conspiracy theorists were motivated by uh, a desire to, to find sort of like uh, a more nefarious organization or more nefarious motive operating behind the scenes. Well, really, I think the, the ones that aren't crazy, I, I've known a lot that were crazy, but I've known a lot of them that weren't. Some of the, some of the, I, an old friend of mine was actually a conspiracy theorist who had a lot to say about the JFK and especially the RFK assassinations. Uh, and he wasn't crazy. And I, I would say the, the same ones I would more characterize not as looking for something nefarious, but as looking for a deeper order. The thing that offends them most is chaos. Right. But what you're proposing is not deeper order, right? The idea of a second lone gunman. Right. Well, okay. okay. Well, I was trying to, the point I was trying to make is it's a precedent on a publicized route in Texas. So it's not impossible that someone else could have had the same idea that Lee Harvey Oswald did. That's not impossible. There were hundreds of people in Dealey Plaza that day. And the visit was known. So it's not impossible that that happened. Yeah. It's just the, the outlandish part, the, the chaotic part, is that there would be no trace of that other person. Right. And conspiracy theorists say, well, no, that's not outlandish because there are lots of traces of that other person. People took responsibility. People gave details. People said, it was me. Or I'm the guy who hired the team. Or I'm the guy who hired the guy. There were those people flashing identification badges. 
They weren't flashing those badges in the Texas Schoolbook Depository. They were flashing them somewhere else. And the somewhere else is where a lot of people thought the shot came from that killed the president. You had, you had a trained veterans. One trained veteran in Dealey Plaza said, I was watching the whole thing. I couldn't take my eyes off it. And the shot that blew his head apart did not come from behind. <laughs> I, it's entirely possible to dismiss all of that as the crisis of the moment, the adrenaline of the moment. But another thing that explains it is the horror that stalks my imagination when I think about this thing, which is that two people committed the same crime at the same time in the same place with the same weapon, totally unconnected to each other. And I mean totally unconnected. I'm not talking strangers on a train here where there is a conversation where, where Bruno says, why don't we just swap murders? I'm talking about people who literally had no connection with each other at all. In my darkest moments, I think that is what happened. And it has sent thousands of conspiracy theorists down rabbit holes from which there is no coming back. Plenty of JFK conspiracy theorist people have ended their own families, no longer have any friends, can't be employed anymore. They just lose their lives to this stuff, less and less as time goes on. But in the 70s and 80s, it, it, was, it, was, it, it got some people really, really bad. And that would have, the one time that I had an old friend who was a conspiracy researcher, and the one time that I brought that possibility up to him was the most livid I have ever seen. <laughs> just, he was personally outraged at the, even, even the idea that such a thing could have happened. And that all the attention went to the, the loner loser who did flee the scene in a disorderly fashion, who did kill someone out of panic, who did you know, get caught by the police, while the other person, whoever they were, did not get caught by the police. Just, I mean, we have, we have eyewitness testimony of strange comings and goings in the rail yard directly behind the grassy knoll. And the Warren Commission didn't seem interested in that. They, they, it, the latching onto one lone gunman seemed very neat and clean, very attractive as a prospect. But that evidence still exists. Those people still yeah. are still there. They still said what they said. They still say they saw what they saw. And there isn't much explanation objectively speaking, there isn't much of an explanation for some of the stuff these men say they saw. Why would there be strange activity there on a day when business had been canceled, on a day when, when why would there be strange activity there? Why would there be what seemed like hurried departures in cars? Why would that be? Why would that exist? And these men didn't wait to do this. Most, some, most of them said it at the time. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not subscribing to that. I actually think, I actually think that the theory that Lee Harvey Oswald just had one of those supernatural moments I, in the 21st century refers to it as being in the zone. Right. Do you think there's like a gravitational attraction that people have towards conspiracy specifically in the context of what I call, you know, what people have called regicide, obviously the death of your leaders? Yeah. Yeah. Humans are built that way. Do you, think, do you think that affects you and oh, your 80% sure. or no? I'm sure that it does. I wouldn't say that. I, I, might, I might have maybe a small shield against it, a tiny shield against it, because I was not socialized by humans 
and humans have this, but most other animals don't. Mm -hmm. It's a product of the human forebrain to draw patterns where there are none. It helps. It got us to the moon. <laughs> it helps in all kinds of ways to develop scenarios that don't yet exist. I might have a tiny shield against that because I, was, I wasn't socialized by, by a species that does that, but I'm sure that I still have. Yeah. Uh, the, the religious skeptic, Michael Shermer, sure. founder of Skeptic Magazine, always draws a, a comparison to primitive, our primitive mammalian ancestors, our common ancestors, the ones that eventually evolved into humans. You're walking along the savanna and you hear a rustling in the grass if you think it's just the wind, and it is just the wind, then you are a completely normal, logical individual. If you think it's just the wind and it's a predator, then you die. You're out of the gene pool. If you think it's just the, that it's a predator when it is just the wind, then you have proven an evolutionary advantage that I kind of think to seeing a pattern that turned out to be false. You've still, you've still proven an evolutionary advantage to having that way of thinking. Yeah. I think that, yeah, so I think that humans are hardwired to see patterns even where there are none, even in nonsense. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think from my perspective, I've, I've told this to you before conversation, I think, um, that I, I can't look at the Kennedy assassination without seeing it through the lens of the Rabin assassination, you know? And so to me, it's like, it's, it's, it's none or both, you know what I'm saying? Um, which whatever is neither here nor there. But I'll also add that um, in preparation for this conversation, I was thinking that Hamlet has to be like the best book about conspiracy theory surrounding regicide. Um, this, this just being sucked in by a narrative that there's, there's a conspiracy that killed the king, you know? Um, and I sort of see that play out as well. Well, yes, except there's a ghost. In That's Hamlet. true. In Hamlet, there's someone who says the conspiracy actually did happen. And in Hamlet, at least in one reading of Hamlet, not my favorite reading of Hamlet, but in one reading of Hamlet, that is supposed to be proof positive. That is mm -hmm. supposed to be non-arguable. I myself love the reading of Hamlet in which the ghost could be lying. I, I think that I like that a lot. I, I think, or, or partially lying. I think that if the ghost is partially lying, if the ghost is acting like an a-hole brother instead of you know saint hamlet from heaven i think that informs uh the king and the queen i think that informs their behavior a lot better in, in the rest of the play but one way or another a, a conspiracy theorist normal people will tell you that that there is a ghost equivalent in the jfk assassination and that as the zapruder film Normal people, non-conspiratorial people will tell you the same thing with the Rabin assassination. That it was, it, it's on camera and the, the guilty party admits to it and is, has never recanted, has never said anything of the kind, is proud of what he did. And it, the same thing is true, I would say, with the, the closest parallel, which would be 9-11, where <laughs> the people involved said they were involved, their film being involved, everything fits there's there's a million pounds of forensic debris all pointing in one direction it, it, where again there's a ghost where there again there is a kind of I, I like i said when we started this this conspiracy fest the more of that kind of proof you have the more uncertainty 
because of that, that quality in human nature where you show me proof positive of something of A, and I'm gonna say, well, maybe it was B. Mm-hmm. And the, the point I'm trying to make about the, the Kennedy assassination is that there is a little bit of grounds, there always will be a little bit of grounds for that. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not 100%. I don't see how a person looking at all of the evidence could say, I'm 100%, I don't have any doubt at all of what happened here. And that's leaving out all the stuff that came later, right? All the stuff that came after Kennedy was dead both both in Parkland Hospital and at Bethesda Naval and whatnot, the, the autopsies, the photos, the doctors, the shadowy figures in rooms, all that sort of stuff, the, the switched coffins, the, the odd photographs of the corpse, leaving out all of that, all of that is a mess. None of it is what you expect, even if the country and everybody in it was caught by surprise. Still, it's all a mess, a field day for people who don't want to believe this because it's it's so sloppy. But even if you leave out all of that and just stop your your considerations when the shots fire, I, I still think that 80% you come down saying it was just this one guy. This one guy who was perfectly situated to, to get off a few rounds at a president. Very unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless. I, I, I don't have as much uh, background in this as you do. But in my experience, when I hear people, and I, I know a few people in real life who have talked to me about their belief in a conspiracy, and I've read a few articles on the internet and things like that. So obviously just, just you know, sort of scratching uh, the surface of what exists in the world of conspiracy. It seems to me that there is a retreat into like an epistemological fog. There's like this throwing up the hands that says we can never know that there's just these questions, you know, that it's, it's very easy though to ask questions. It's very easy to sort of point at, you know, loose ends or things that seem, you know, like they don't make sense, but you can never really prove a negative, right? Like um, it's, it's, it's convenient to appeal to like mystery when you're not responsible for like putting forth a real narrative of like a real, you know, a real uh, perpetrator. Right. Is that, is that something to like be wary of? Cause to me, that's like a big red flag. <laughs> that's something to be wary of. <laughs> There, there are vote audits going on in this country. <laughs> yes, it's something to be wary of. There, there are ballots that from Maricopa County in Arizona who are, that are now in Montana right. in an undisclosed location with yeah. people looking for bamboo fibers. Right. <laughs> because even Donald Trump's conspiracy theories are racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, that is definitely something to be worried about. That is actually happening. People, Democrat and Republican, who cast their ballots, it's not a photocopy of their ballots. Their actual ballots have been taken to Montana to be ginned up in God knows what kind of way. That ballots that ought to be sacred. Yeah. The closest thing this country comes to sacred. That's happening now. And it's happening now because of the kind of thinking that we're talking about. So yeah, it is something to to uh, to be wary of. And I would add also the anti-vax movement and COVID denialism yeah. and all sorts of currents in American uh, discourse uh, or, yeah. in, you know, that, that, that sort of um, re- retreat in the epistemological fog of, you know, I'm just asking the questions, right. you know right. what I'm saying? And that is the horrible grandchild of conspiracy theorists from the 60s and the 70s. That is their horrible grandchild, is the world we live in now where people can choose their own facts. I don't think there's anything wrong 
maybe this is just a reflection of the fact that a lot of the JFK conspiracy theorists and RFK conspiracy theorists that I've known and Martin Luther King conspiracy theorists that I've known have been ordinary people. They weren't crazy at all. A lot of the ones that I know have not been crazy at all. And I don't think there's anything wrong with someone like that or even Mark Lane. I will go so far as to say that Mark Lane is not crazy coming along and saying, I do have questions. I don't think this adds up. I have questions and if you can answer them, then I'll take your answers. If provided there are no holes in your answers. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's in, in, in essence, the DNA of how good history gets done. It's just, it has a horrible grandchild. And the horrible grandchild is people who see conspiracies everywhere because they don't like reality. Mm. That, that's a big difference in that. I, I don't like the reality either that, that a sweaty, bug-eyed, chinless loser could climb up to, the, to a roof, to you know, a high floor of a building and pick off a president. I don't like that either. Of course, I don't like that either, especially not considering everything that came out from it. All the fallout of that, we're still paying for some of it. You don't like to think that history ever turns on something like that. You like, it's, it's comforting to think this guy was just a patsy and there were bigger mechanisms in place, things that, that you know, need to be hunted out and rights that need to be wronged. And of course, Jack Ruby killing the Harvey Oswald also on camera just made that 10 times worse. Again, that, that I wasn't talking, I'm not in this conversation, I haven't been talking about any of the aftermath. The most notorious part of the aftermath is that the assassin was assassinated. Show me a conspiracy theorist who's going to see that and say, yeah, these things happen. <laughs> That's no way. Anybody that could have been talked back from the brink without that is lost once you get to that. That, that Jack Ruby was able to walk into the police precinct and shoot dead the man who shot JFK. I, I pointed out to some conspiracy theorists over the decades, I pointed out, okay, well, but if, <laughs> there are some logical inconsistencies in that being the case. Number one being that Ruby didn't get killed, right? He sat in a jail cell. And if we, if he had been sitting in that jail cell in 21st century America, then he would have been waterboarded. He would, sodium pentothal, he would have been given truth drugs. He, he would have been tortured until he told everything that he knew. And it would have been legal. It is absolutely legal for that to happen. Government agents, could come down that hallway behind you, put a stack over your head and rendition you, and it would all be legal. <laughs> uh, in the 21st century, in 2021, that would have happened to Jack Ruby and we would have learned everything that needs to be known about whatever was going on there. Instead, he just sat there unmolested and as far as we can tell, barely ever interviewed until he died of natural causes. That, 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 that seems to me to blow a hole in the fact that there was this gigantic machinery motivating him to silence Oswald. Yeah. It, yeah that machinery wouldn't have left him alone. If yeah. That were so, anyway, so, I'm going on again. It's okay. No, it's good. You just, uh, I think we should be wrapping up soon because this is going on. Um, even though I, I could talk to you for hours and hours, there's really no, uh, there's no, there's no, I'm not running out of things to talk about. Let me tell you. I feel the same. It's just two 20 something guys. <laughs> trying to figure things out, that's yeah. all.
That's right. We're just asking questions. We're just asking questions. We're just asking questions. <laughs> you talked about how sort of a, a descendant of this kind of phenomenon is um, the a world where people um, you know see conspiracies everywhere, and I, I wonder, and that's and that that I obviously think about a lot and worry about a lot, you know, to, to what extent is a lot of the conspiratorial- Bloody well should worry about yeah. it, if I may say so. Yeah. Not to get too, too personal or too alarmist on our, the first of what I hope is a series of videos like this, but you bloody well should be concerned because the conspiratorial instinct in human beings in the last 7,000 years has mostly always had one target and you are that target. So you, I, wear, I think about you when I think about this all yeah. the time. You yeah. and a bunch of other friends of mine. <laughs> let's just say, let's just put it politely and say virulent, violent anti-Semitism is drastically on the rise all over the world. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. That, that. There's no way you can tell me that's not connected with what you just described. I agree, 100%. Um, in addition to that, not necessarily worse, but, but parallel, running parallel. I, I got the sense from Bugliosi that part of his claim, because you mentioned this in your review and it comes across in the little that I've read, the small percentage that I've read, is that he's, he's so dramatic and so uh, critical, hypercritical of these um, and he like tries to lambast all these conspiracy theorists. He seems to be yeah, making the claim. For, for, for viewers, we should point out, that's the amazing thing about reclaiming history. Bugliosi is not just got, sifting the evidence of the Warren report. He then finishes with that and critically assesses every major conspiracy theory that's ever been put forward. Right. That's part, part of what happens in the book and it's incredible. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. It, it seems to me, and I'm proposing this so you can disagree if you disagree. He's, he's describing like a poisoning of the well of the uh, sort of source of information that people have access to. For example, the chapter on Oliver Stone's JFK movie is like one of his most like, you know, passionate chapters where he says, you know, this was based upon uh, a, a completely debunked, uh, completely falsified trial of some completely innocent businessman on like trumped up charges. Everyone involved thought it was like the biggest miscarriage of, of justice and like the biggest uh, misuse of the American justice system ever. And right. JFK puts forth, you know, this movie, which then gets sent out to schools across the United States with pamphlets of like, you know, what did we learn from this movie, JFK? Right. And, right. and he seems to, you know, and I think like for my own, you know, self, my own edification growing up, my child, you know, if he, my son wants to learn about a topic, I take him to the library and we go take out a book on a topic, you know? But if someone goes to the library, take out a book on the JFK assassination, there seems to be this danger that they're gonna get like alternative facts. They're gonna get a distorted, you know, view because there's there's this this knowledge, the stream of knowledge, which has been polluted with misinformation. Right, right. And you know, the irony is, uh, one of the ironies here is, although your kids should, you should make sure that they avoid like plutonium Oliver Stone's JFK when it comes to learning about the JFK assassination, you should send them straight to Oliver Stone's JFK when it comes time to, to learn about movie making. It's an incredibly effective movie. It is based on nothing at all. It is full of what makes the grass grow. It is full of malarkey, but it is beautifully done, brilliantly done. It is incredibly convincing. So in that sense, you're right. It's incredibly dangerous. Uh, but there's not there's not a single frame in that movie that isn't genius talk about that moment of sanctification 
John Oliver Stone had that while he was making. This I movie. haven't seen the movie. I'll, I'll, never I, I have to see it. It's, it's on my list, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. It is sinister because I believe that it was done with Olive Stone thinking that he was filming the truth. Mm-hmm. But it is also brilliant, just brilliant. Every scene, scene for scene, the, in the way that it manipulates the viewer. And it worked. It got tons and tons of, of classified documents declassified on the strength of that movie alone. Because people thought this was about something. It's actually not about anything. It's not, it's like you say, it's built on nothing. It, instead, it, it that I don't I don't envy you having little ones that you're gonna have to help navigate part of this until you grow old and die, and then they have to navigate it on their own. This is exactly why my Deb and I have always given our children up to passing gypsies. <laughs> it takes away so much of the headache. Let the gypsies have the headache. Well, we can get on with our tabletop gaming. Yeah, I can't imagine the responsibility of having kids that in an eye blink of time are going to be online with access to endless fire hoses of misinformation. Yeah. Sorry, I'm bouncing up and down because my little dog is going nuts. She's trying. She was peaceful for a while, but now she's trying to burrow her way underneath the mattress. She's thrashing all around. It's bouncing <laughs> the camera. And you know, you know, the irony here is that everybody who's watching mm-hmm. is now saying, well, these guys might be interesting, but please turn the camera around. I really want to see that. I, I really want to see Frida. These two guys are interesting, I guess, but I'd re- they just as well take 30 minutes of just watching Frida. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, you're right. It, 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 this is only going to get worse. This problem of people picking their own reality is only going to get worse because the technology is now there deep fakes are now there in yeah, ways yeah. that most people hear that phrase and they just think, oh, this means just a really convincing CGI. They have no idea the ramifications of it at all. None whatsoever. And yeah, that yeah. technology is, is still in its infancy. It's terrifying. And it's still in its infancy. You could easily, the next time there is a major event like this, no, no, offense, no offense here to the political assassination that just did happen yesterday no offense to that but i'm saying something like um uh a president being assassinated god forbid or another huge terrorist attack god forbid where where there there are all of the ad hoc eyewitness oh i just happened to be there film footages there'll be a ton more of that because everybody has cameras now but there'll also be completely deep fake stuff of the same stuff where literally you have no idea what is real and what isn't from what your eyes are seeing it's it's a wild century that you've decided to send your progeny into (laughs) fortunately i will be here to help i know (laughs) i appreciate that closing thoughts closing reflections well, I have a closing question. Are you actually going to read the whole of Reclaiming History? No. You're read not, the whole thing? No plans. No plans for it. Read the whole no thing. No. I'm happy with what I read. I really am. I, honestly, I, I would... I, I, these bookmarks, I could say that all my books with bookmarks, are so good, are so, are so incredible. The way he talks about um, America you know, being transformed and the loss of faith that people had in their government after the assassination... Yeah. Um, the, the way he talks about how the, 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 how passionate he is about about 
preserving history. Like he responds to this uh, review of, of the Oliver Stone movie saying, you know, history will survive. And he responds to that. And he says, you know, objectively, in some objective sense, history survives. But, but history is like this thread. He calls it like a thread across an ocean of forgetting, you know? And, and he's so, um, you know, passionate about this, about this fear of like losing touch with constructing our own past, you know, right. um, and things like that. And so, so to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to invest what would probably be months and months uh, to go through the whole book. Um, but I am happy and, and I, I feel edified from the small percentage that I did read. So from another question, from the small percentage that you read and from all the stuff that you've read before, where are you in zero to hundred? I'm at 99 on both Rabin and Kennedy. And, and similar. A little, yeah, above 99, very, I, I leave a shadow of doubt for everything. You know, obviously uh, you can't, I, I don't, I can't be hundred percent certain about anything, but I, I think for me, people don't keep secrets to the grave. There's no incentive for anyone to keep a secret to the grave. Um, right. Human beings are, aren't wired like that, you Just know? Like that. And right. I think in the immediate Kennedy, aftermath, yeah. You can't assassinate hundreds of people would have had to do that by right. now. Right, so that's that's where I come from. In the immediate aftermath, I think there's definitely more fog for sure. But I think as the years goes on, go on, um, no one's taking a secret like that to the grave. That's my that's my approach. Well, we'll have to come up with something else for next time. Yeah, maybe next time we should concentrate on 9/11. Sure, that'd be a conversation. <laughs> I'll have to find yeah. a new book to read. I've done a huge amount of reading on the subject of 9/11. A huge amount. That would be a lot of fun. Or we could just fall back on the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Since no shortage. I, I am uh, probably one of the only people you've met who's been to Loch Ness and also gone all the way around it. It's a huge lake. It's gigantic. And I have tramped all the way around it with dogs. <laughs> was never molested once by a monster. But one way or another, we'll, we'll get to that next time. I'm looking forward. Two 20-something guys trying to figure these things out. That's, that's all. That's all this is. We're just asking questions. Just asking questions. I love it. All right. Steve, have a great day. Send best regards to Frida. Yes. She stopped thrashing for now. Okay. And uh, we'll be in touch. Yes, it's been wonderful. Sorry been I wonderful. was so long. No, of course. This was a pleasure. All right. I'm hanging up. I'll see you later. Bye.